Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. This morning, we uh, are going to go to Acts chapter 6. That's going to be the main text that we have. And we're in this series called The Healthy Church. Last week, whenever um, I was talking to you, I left you with the main point. The main point that I wanted to drive home to you is that you were created on purpose for a purpose. Like you were created on purpose. I don't know if anybody had uh, this spoken over them as a child, but I was, uh, I was a mistake child. Anybody have a mistake? You know, you weren't intended. But can I tell you, there is not a person alive on planet Earth that was here by mistake. I don't care if you didn't plan the pregnancy. I don't care if you became pregnant uh, at, due to something traumatic, as, uh, even, even as a rape. I'm telling you, there is no life that is created that is a mistake and God can take whatever your humble beginnings, your traumatic beginnings, your unwanted beginnings, he can take all of that and use it for amazing things in the earth. He created you. God is the one. Uh, births don't happen without God's blessing. And God is the giver of life. He's the creator of life. The enemy cannot create life. The enemy can't create life, so mistakes can't happen. You, you might think it's a mistake, but I'm telling you, in the great cosmic plan, God's, God's eternal plan, every person on planet Earth is here for a reason. And we can either partner with that, or we can resist that, and we can do our own thing. God doesn't force his will on us, and he doesn't force his purpose on us, but we can partner with him. And so I left you with that last week. I started this off talking a little bit about the 80-20 principle, and uh, this, uh, this principle discovered, it's, it's basically a discovery. He didn't invent it. He just began to, uh, to, to recognize this principle, this uh, sequence that was happening over and over and over. Uh, 80% of the land was owned by the top 20% of the people. Uh, 80% of the economy was given by 20% of the people. Uh, so you, you kind of get the, the idea. And this guy, Pareto, uh, he's an Italian, and he, he basically formulated this into a principle and says 80% of whatever is usually caused by 20% of whatever. And so we've heard that in the church before, that 80% of the, of the ministry is done by 20% of the people. 80% of the giving is given by 20% of the people. And that's very true in a lot of instances. However, we can look at that principle and we can say, well, that's just how it is. That's just what it's, it's like. That's the statistical generalization. But here's what 
what God's principle is. God's principle is the 100% principle. God's not into 80-20. God's not into 60-40. God, when it comes to uh, our destiny, when it comes to fulfilling the call on your life and the corporate church, he's into the 100% principle. I shared with you last week that, you know, Christianity is not a spectator sport. You've probably heard that preached many, many times. But as I grew up, uh, I grew up in the church, and many times the church was a spectator sport. What I mean by that, you know what I mean, but I'm going to just break it down a little bit to you. Like, uh, what happens up here, uh, the pastor, uh, it, you know, it can be dictated by people out there. Because if they don't like it, they just walk. You know, they just walk. Uh, if they don't like the songs or, you know, whatever, they just walk. Um, if they don't like how a certain decision is made, they just walk. Because they're, they're spectating. But, you know, don't just... Uh, like, for instance, you don't just point problems out. You bring solutions. Like, I, I've literally had people bring bring problems to me, and it's like, really, that's, you know, I mean, that wasn't a problem we didn't know was there, you know? We already knew that was there. And they're like, well, I don't have a solution for you. Well, thank you for pointing it out and not being a part of the solution. Like, listen, if you don't have a, 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 a part, if you can't be part of the solution, then it's best that you just kind of remain silent. Too harsh? It, it really is the truth, though. If you can't be a part of the solution, then don't point problems out. Don't point problems out. Because here's the deal. The, the 100% principle is... God wants every person in the body of Christ fulfilling their destiny. This is not a football game. It's not a, it's, it's not a theater. Um, it, you know what I'm saying? It, it's none of those things where we watch what happens up here. But what's happened is in the world of, of, of spiritual, uh, I said Christendom, spiritual world, religious world, whatever you want to call it. We've really kind of made it that way. I mean, the very design of this building uh, and, and every building is sort of designed to where you're sitting and you're looking. Uh, you know, so it's almost like you're spectating. But the point is, is that you don't have to. We don't have to spectate. So when we worship, you know, we're, we're, what just happened a few minutes ago, that's a part of musical worship. Right now, this is a part of study worship. We're worshiping him through the study of the word. If those of you who gave today uh, or this week online, that's a part of, of, of your resource worship. However, we do this, God is interested in a 100% principle. He's not interested in 20% of the people doing 80% of the ministry. He wants 100% of the people doing 100% of the ministry. You do whatever your part is. He doesn't want 20% of the church to, to give, to be the 
uh, the major givers. He wants every person in the body of Christ to give something. You don't have to give everything. I don't have to give everything. You don't have to serve everywhere. I don't have to serve everywhere. But it's the 100% principle. If you go back and you read the talent of the, parab- uh, the parable of the talents, the talent, uh, a monetary, uh, so it's, it's a monetary amount. And he gives to one person, he gives him uh, one talent and to another, he gives, uh, what was it, three or two? He gives him the, the no, you got five as the end, but what's the middle one? Was it three or two? <laughs> but you get the point. One, three, five. All right? So what does he do when he comes back and he, he says, I'm giving this to you. I want you to steward it. And the guy, man, with the one talent, he's like, man, I ain't, I ain't going to disappoint him. I'm just going to keep this here, and I'm not going to do anything with it. The other two guys, they go, and they, they multiply theirs, all right? They multiply theirs. Jesus comes back in this parable, and the owner, but, the, but the, Jesus is the owner. He comes back, and he says, all right, I want to find out what you guys have been doing while I've been away. The one with five gained five more. The one with three gains th- uh, three more the, the, uh, or two. You get the point. Uh, the one with one said, hey, now listen, I knew you were tough. I, kn- I, kn- I knew I was going to have to be accountable uh, to you. So I didn't want to lose it. So I have taken this, dug, dug it, put it in the ground, you know, and, and let me go get it for you. I'm going to give you back what you, and, and that ain't working. That's not working for the Lord. And the Lord there's, there's some powerful things in that parable. The Lord, he basically took that talent and he gave it to the one who actually had the most. Like why didn't he give it to the middle one? Or why didn't he tell him to go try again? What he was doing, he was saying, he, there's a principle that God rewards those who are faithful. If you're faithful in little, he'll reward you. If you're faithful with much, he'll reward you. But if you can't be faithful with little, we don't have, we don't deserve having it. And so whatever it is, I truly believe this. I'm just kind of logically deducing this, okay? But the scripture doesn't say this, all right? So it's, it doesn't say this. I'm just a logical deduction. I truly believe that if the person who had one talent that if he had gone and if he had invested it, and he's like, man, this seems like a good opportunity. I'm going to invest this for the Lord. I'm going to see what kind of return I get. And he ends up failing. He fails, and he goes back. And so the scenario now is the Lord returns, and he says, all right, guys, just want to kind of find out, check up with y'all, see how you were doing. Uh, let, let's bring this stuff out and see you know, where, where our return on investment is, all right? And the, the guy with one is like, Lord, man, I'm sorry. I, I don't have anything right now to show you. Uh, but, I, but I did invest it. I lost it, but I did invest it. I thought this was good. I wasn't being slothful, you know, but, but it didn't return anything. I truly believe the Lord would have said, okay, man, good job. What good job? Are you kidding me? Like you didn't return anything. You made no profit, but you tried. 
You invested. That's the point. It's not about your return on investment. That's up to the Lord. The scripture talks to us about harvest. Like, man, we are not in charge of the harvest. We're not in charge of what the return is. All we're uh, responsible for is being a good steward to what God has entrusted to us. So we scatter the seed. We make the investment. We do whatever. We bring to the Lord whatever we have and, and leave it up to God to create the 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 return on his investment i truly believe in that parable that if the if the servant had just been faithful even though he didn't have anything to return in response to it the lord would have said you at least tried where do you get that pastor right how can you do that because i just look over at when jesus was discipling the disciples and he sent them out And they came back and they had no return on their investment. They came back to him. And he said, uh, they said, listen, we went out and tried that stuff and it didn't work. You said we could lay hands on the sick and they would recover. You, you, we saw some of that, but you said we could lay hands on people who are demon possessed. We could cast the devil out of them. And we, we tried that. Guess what? They failed. So they're coming back as failures to the Lord. And what does the Lord say to them? Not not get out of my sight, you bunch of uh, worthless, lazy, just get on out of here. I don't even want to deal with y'all. No, he's lovingly said, all right, so tell me kind of what y'all did. And they begin to tell him about, man, we tried, we did this, this, some of these things work. But when we came up against those demons... And Jesus said this, oh, oh, so you guys, you move from one territory into another territory. You move from one spiritual place in in your uh, spiritual life, and, and then you moved into the demonic realm. Well, brothers, y'all, y'all need more. You, you, you can work in this level. Are you following me? If I could just break it down to you a little simpler if you're a greeter at the front door that's a very beautiful thing you're you're the front line of people seeing people today and greeting them but you don't need as much spiritual warfare at the front door as you do if you are doing deliverance ministry it doesn't mean that devils don't come in the front door but they don't come in the front door manifesting (laughs) are you following me They don't come in the front door going, just want you to know, I'm here to raise some hell today. I am going to wreak havoc in this place. They don't come in like that. I mean, we need to be in discerning. But when you're doing deliverance ministry, they will point blank come out and they will, I mean, say some of the most vilest things. That's a higher level of ministry spiritual warfare than is needed in this other position both are needed but but they're different really you got me and Jesus when he sent those disciples out and they came back they just needed some 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 training because because either they missed it and and that's probably what happened because I can't imagine that Jesus sent them out unprepared because you know man you know 
There are times as you're looking at Jesus that he's, he's uh, teaching them. And they're, they're over here talking about what he mean when he said, you know, they're not paying attention. They're having their own little sidebar and they're missing teaching. Or they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? So I don't think it was Jesus' fault. I think they just missed some really important stuff. But here's the beauty of our Lord. He is a God of second chances, man. He is a God of forgiveness. He is not, he doesn't only forgive us when, uh, for, for salvation's sake, but God forgives us when we flub it up, when we've messed it up, you know, when we've just made a royal mess of it. If our heart is in the right place and we have a spirit of, of reconciliation with the Father about us, a spirit of humility, God will take us and our mess and he'll use it to make something incredible. So this whole thing about the 100%, God wants 100% of the body of Christ to be involved and not just to be involved in what we want to be involved in. Every area of spiritual maturity. That's why, um, you know, I talk about giving a lot. I don't beat people over the head with it, but I talk about giving a lot. Why? Because that is the number one thing that Jesus talked about in the New Testament was giving. He talked about giving more than any other subject. Jesus wants 100% of his church to give. Well, I don't really sure uh, I agree with blah, blah, blah. Can I just tell you that is nothing but a demonic mindset to keep you from going where God wants you to go. You can say that kind of stuff, but I'm telling you what. The scripture where it says, you know, wherever our treasure is, where our heart is, in other words, that's where our treasure is. I'm telling you what, you find out what people are passionate about, you'll find out where they spend money. I'm telling you, God wants 100% of the body of Christ giving. That's, that, without a doubt, I can stand in front of you today and say, that's 100% biblical, it's a, oh, Pastor Rife, you don't know where, where I've been. You don't know where we are financially. I do. I may not know your specific situation, but I do. And here's the deal. You don't have to give what I give. You don't have to give what he gives. She doesn't have to give what you give. You just have to give what you give. You just need to, to be about what God has called you to do. The same goes with serving. I was just filling in the blank with giving there, but the same goes with serving. You, you, you may not have to serve at one level, but there is something in the house to do. Why is it, church family, why is it, people of God, that in your own house you will accept a different standard, but you will not hold that standard? All right? Your son's in there laid up in the bed. You with me? You know where I'm fixing to go, right? Why is it that we will have one standard for the house of God, but we will not have that same standard at our own house? Your son's up in there laid up in the bed. There's work to do. There's work to do. There's stuff around the house that's got to be done. Go ahead, son. Get those extra Z's in. You need it. Let me get my middle-aged self out there and do it. Let me get out there 
and sweat. Let me get out there and uh, I'm sorry, you, need me, you want me to make you a sandwich before I go out and do my job and yours? Okay, hang on. Let me go make you a sandwich. Let me bring it in there and on, on a little tray. Put it on. What show you want to watch on Netflix? Like, bro, do you do that in your house? Would you have that standard in your house? Then why is it that we will have a different standard for the house of God? Y'all know I'm preaching the truth. You know I'm telling the truth. So God's plan is 100% of whatever ratio, whatever amount of time you can give, resource you can give, uh, uh, ability you can give. And we're not all judged the same. We're not all judged the same. We're judged based upon what we're, what we're capable of doing. Does that make sense? You know? So... Let's move on. Here we go. Uh, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Turn there. Um, In Ephesians chapter 4, where we're talking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, the work of their ministry is for the encouraging of the saints and the building up of the church. The encouraging of the saints and the building up of the church. That's their twofold purpose. Can I tell you that we have a distorted view of encouragement? Last night, I was trying to encourage somebody. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, let me see how I want to say this. Um, I'm trying to think if I encouraged her or if I tried to. Okay? I don't know which it was, so let me just go with it. So last night, I'm ministering to this young lady, and I'm trying to encourage her, all right? And where I'm going with this is we have this messed up idea of what encouragement looks like. We have this idea that encouragement looks like, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, come on, you can do it. I believe in you. God sees purpose in your life. Come on, you can do it. We see that as encouragement. Listen, there are times where encouragement looks like speaking the truth in love. As I'm I'm operating last night and I'm encouraging this young lady, all she, it doesn't matter. Everything that I'm trying to point her in the right direction, point her in the right direction, immediately after I stopped talking, she would go back. It, it's like, it was almost like a reset. I'm like, I'm getting you over here. I'm encouraging you. I just told you that God is working. Not only is God working, but you heard multiple prophetic words in the, in the ministry time last night. You heard God saying things. And there were things in that conversation that, Uh, It was a confirmation of the prophetic for me because I was saying things and like, man, I hope this is God because this is what I've got and I'm speaking it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. After it was over, it was a big, the thing that she was telling me was a huge revelation of like, oh, wow. Well, that's encouraging. 
Wouldn't you think so? If you heard a word, a man of God comes in, and he doesn't know anything about your life, your house, your whatever, but he gives a prophetic word, and you go, wow, there's no way. That's, to me, that's encouraging because it lets me know that God's at work. But every time I would say, look, man, you heard what God said. God is working. I know, but this, this, and this, and this, and it would, it, it would keep going back. Just keep going back. And I'm like, hey, I, I, I can't help you. I'm trying to encourage you. And this is what I said. Do you know that every time I speak the truth to you, you go back here? Do you know you're doing that in our conversation? Every time I speak to you, you're, you're not listening to me and you're not listening to Holy Spirit. You were in the same place I was. You heard what Holy Spirit said, but you keep going back to default. You keep coming back over here. And so here's where I left it. I said, you can do these things and you can heed the word of the Lord and you can trust him. If not, you're going to stay at that miserable place that you are right now. You're going to stay in that miserable place that you are right now. Listen, God has words for us that he is just waiting to see born into our life. But many times we're not in, we're, we're not receiving those because we're not being, we're not receiving encouragement because we're going back to our default. Are you following me? We're go we keep going back to that hard place. I sat there and I said, listen to me, listen to me. It's not like I don't know what you're going through. Not your particular situation is different from mine, but hurt is hurt. Are you following me? Hurt is hurt. I don't care if you, if you hit your hand with a hammer or you hit your foot and get it smashed in the car door. It hurts. They hurt in different places. They were caused by different things, but it still hurt. And I said, listen, I'm telling you, I have experienced hurt. And I said, and I, I, and I feel, and, and hurt is such a painful uh, thing, but it's a powerful weapon of the enemy because God wants to drag you back over there into that default mode of hurt and wants you to stay there. The only way we get out of that is releasing it, forgiving, and, and saying, God, I trust you. I trust that you're going to do this. So these, these gifts are for the encouragement of the church. That's what, that's what it is. And listen, I cannot tell you how many people have told me, you know, I don't want, I'm tired of hearing three easy ways to improve my marriage. I'm just tired of hearing four simple steps to be the light of the world in the marketplace. All of those are good and all of those have a place somewhere, but you cannot have a steady diet of that stuff. The scripture says the word of God is good for reproof. It's good for correction. It's good for discipline. The scripture says that every good father disciplines his children. Why? Because he loves them and he wants them to grow up in, 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 in a in a righteous way. 
And so these gifts that God gives to the church are for a purpose. And then as he gives these gifts to the church, he's like, I want you to raise them up into their specific gifts because he says, unto each one of us has been given a gift. Every single person in this church has been given a gift. A few years ago, Somebody came to me and they said, you know, I just don't, I just don't, I'm not good at anything. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not good at anything? They said, I, you know, I don't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And they started naming off these things in the church that they couldn't do. And that's the truth. You can't sing. We don't want you on the praise team. No. You don't have any musical talent. That's true. You don't have any of that. But what do you mean you're not good at anything? Because God has given each of us a gift. And I started pointing out to them, you know, you are great at this, man. You are excellent at, at this. You know how to do this better than anybody. But do you know where those gifts were? They weren't up here. They weren't up here. Man, I tell you what, if you get anybody that they only want to serve up here, oh, Jesus if you, if you get somebody, they only want to serve up here. If you get somebody, they only want to teach. There are some people, they love to hear the, their voice better than anybody else's voice. They're not preaching because they want to teach you something. They're preaching because they like hearing their voice. They love doing that thing. I'm telling you what, if you get people that they only want to serve there, that's a problem. I told this person, I said, you are an incredible gift to the body. So what if you don't do those other things? You create things. You dig things out. You make ministry possible for other areas of the church to happen. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that your gift, when you operate in your gift, you are actually helping somebody else to improve. Like, you're helping somebody else to grow when you have their gift. Those guys back in the media booth today, you know, uh, that they're, they're, they're unseen unless something goes wrong. Nobody cares about them until something goes wrong. But I'm telling you what, they are making ministry happen so that the preaching of the word can go forth, so the atmosphere of worship can happen. So in this whole thing about ministry and where do I fit into this? Listen, I'm telling you, at some point, at some point, you have to find your place in the body of Christ and operate in the body of Christ. If you start looking at the metaphor of the body, if something on your body is, is, um, is, is either not used or it stops working, it becomes dead. What does it begin to do? It begins to become septic and affect the parts of the body around it. I'm telling you that. When somebody is not invested in the mission of the church, wherever people go to church, and most of you guys, I, go, I guess you go to church here unless you're visiting today. But wherever you go to church... Like, if you're not invested in the life and the body of that church, and there's not some part of you that's investing in that church in some way, 
you will become septic and you'll, be, you'll begin to affect the part of the body around you. Well, I don't like this. I don't like the illustration he used. I think he was talking about me. Well, if I was, I can tell you I'm a big boy. I don't, I don't need to send you a subliminal message in a message. I will flat out come to you and di- directly talk to you. But if, if, I, if I say anything and it hits you, then guess what? You're in good company because Jesus, when he preached the truth, they got so offended. And there are people who, when they were offended, they, like Peter, Peter got offended multiple times at Jesus. Yet Peter is like, you know, the chief apostle, basically. He's the, he's the guy who the Catholics, uh, you know, pretty much beatified as the first pope of the Roman Catholic Church. The guy that got so ticked off at Jesus and offended with Jesus. But Jesus kept speaking the truth to him. Jesus didn't take it and go like, oh, Peter, I have to walk on eggshells around him. No, he didn't do that. Peter, oh my gosh, here comes Peter. Let's change the subject, you know. No, Peter, man, is like, Peter, Jesus saying something, and Peter's like, man, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling him Satan. He was calling the spirit of how, how um, Peter was operating in. And he's like, dude, you, no, no, you, you're not bringing that spirit here. You're going to have to leave that at the door. Check that mess at the door if you're going to come in here. Over and over. What was, what was Jesus doing? He was encouraging Peter. <laughs> Didn't sound like it. That's because we have a marshmallow patty cake concept of what encouragement looks like. Sometimes encouragement looks like, hey man, I'm just telling you, you keep going down this path. You're going to run off that cliff. I'm trying to encourage you to get on the path. I'm trying to tell you, you need to stop that. I'm trying to tell you that girl's bad for you. I'm trying to tell you, if you keep hanging around them, you are, you are going to lose your way. That is encouraging, my friend, but it doesn't sound encouraging. In the body of Christ, we have to find our place. Now, I, wanna, I, want, you to, uh, I want you to go with me real quick to Acts chapter 6. As we look at this, I want you to pay attention to some things here. Um, let me get there myself. Acts chapter 6. I want you to pay attention. We're, we're going to go down to, um, I think, verse 8. Before I start reading this, so what's happening here? Jesus has been crucified. He's risen. He's ascended to the Father. So Jesus is not on planet Earth anymore. Um, the church is beginning to grow. Uh, the church is also being persecuted. So a lot of times in persecuting uh, very unhealthy places, like right now our, our nation is in a very unhealthy place. But guys, sometimes the most agitating and unhealthy uh, times bring about spiritual conditions that the church will grow 
if we will do our part, if we will stand firm and do our part. What's happening here is they're being persecuted, but man, the church is growing so fast. All right, so um, chapter 6. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated uh, against in the daily distribution of food. Stop right there real quick. What's happening right here is you understand up until this point, dude, if you're not in, if you're not a Jew, you're not included in Israel, and it was very exclusive. Like, you were not a part of the faith. You were pagan. You were either in or out. But Jesus comes and totally changes all of that and says, hey, now the faith, we're grafting everybody into the faith. It doesn't matter if you're a pagan. If you renounce that and come to Christ, you're in. If you begin to practice the teachings of Christ, you're in. And so you have all of this influx of Greeks, Greeks, uh, were mainly were pluralistic in their gods. They worshipped uh, Venus, Mercury, you know, all these different, uh, Zeus, all these different gods. Well, maybe Zeus was Greek. Yeah, that Greek. I get the Greeks and Romans mixed up in their mythology, but you get the point. They were a pluralistic god uh, society. And so when they begin to come into the faith, all of a sudden you got an us and them mentality. We have that in the United States. I'm not saying this is right. I don't, don't want to get off on anything that's political. But we have this in our world right now, in our, in our United States. All of the immigrants coming in. The immigrants, we, we will say, like, man, if you came here and you're not going through the right process, you've got some people saying, hey, they deserve everything that we've got. You've got another group of people saying, hey, now hang on a second. You can't have all of these rights and just infiltrate our country and over, you know, this surge of people. So I'm just using that. I'm not saying right or wrong and all that mess. I'm saying that's happening here. And they're like, hey, hang on, man. This was just Jews. Now we got all these new converts that are coming in. And not only that, y'all are giving preference to the, the Jews. Y'all are giving preference like, to, to them. And our, our widows and the people that need food are not getting what they deserve. So there's this huge outbreak of this. And they're bringing this to the apostles, all right? So in verse 2, so the 12... That's the foundational apostles, the first 12 apostles. They called a meeting of all the believers. So who did they call? Believers, believers the ecclesia. So they're, they're calling a meeting of the church. And I want you to understand how this operates, okay? Because if you'll look at this, this our church today, meaning the, the, the larger church, the global church, does not operate like this. The 12, they called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and the teaching of the word. Everyone liked this idea. 
And they chose the following, Stephen. All right, stop. I'm not going to go any further with Stephen. I'll pick him up in a minute. What are these? So they told who the apostles didn't choose the men. Who chose the people? The people chose them. Like the body chose these men. What are they doing? What are they leading? A food program. They're leading a food program. The apostles are saying, hey, our primary, we are off mission. We are off mission. Can you imagine? Like, it's, it's, they, they were doing it. They weren't saying we're above this. They weren't saying, well, I need to get back to studying the word of God. I need to get back to... No, they weren't coming from it by that, that holier than thou. And I'm not saying everybody that has that voice is, you know, one of those. But can you imagine Peter? Can you imagine Barnabas? They're in the kitchen in there and they're slinging spaghetti and putting stuff on trays and trying to feed folks. And they're like, listen, dude, we, this is too much for us. We can't do this and go pray and go teach and disciple at the same time. We need to get some help up in here. As a matter of fact, Barnabas, I could just see in him like, yeah, we do. Because, Peter, I've tasted your spaghetti sauce and it's <laughs> not that good. Get somebody who's more qualified in that that's got the gift of spaghetti. Like Giselle, she's got that gift, man, of spaghetti. And so he's like, we're going to have to, re like, we, we got to regroup here. So y'all are going to need to go choose some men, all right? You're going to need to go choose some men, all right? So I'm just looking at this list here, and I'm going, all right, surely they're going to, uh, Pick somebody that's been at a five-star Michelin restaurant. They've studied in Paris, you know, at uh, culinary school. They've worked, you know, as a sous chef all the way up to, like, they own their own restaurant. Surely these are the people that they're going to choose to run a food program. Somebody that's, like, a great manager. You know, they've got seven or eight corporations under them. That is not the list of qualifications that they list here. I want you to look at this. It says, um, I want to go all the way back up to uh, three. And so brothers and sisters, select men who are well respected, full of the spirit and full of wisdom. Not a single, not a single inquiry into, can you make a good uh, meatloaf? Not a single one. But what were they doing? They were operating a food ministry. All right? And then down here, it says, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, look at Stephen's qualification. He's a man of faith. I don't know how much faith you need to cook spaghetti. But they chose a man of faith. And full of the Holy Spirit. Like, dude, he's a spirit-filled spaghetti maker. Now, he pro I, I don't know that he ever fixed a single meal. You, you get the point. You're smart enough to read through all of this humor. But full of the Holy Spirit, they chose Philip, Prochorus, Nic uh, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, uh, uh, I guess is how you say it, 
and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to, to the Jewish faith. And, sev- and the seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and laid their hands on them. And then I love in verse uh, 7, it says, so. Anytime you say, so, it means whatever happened before that, that's why this is fixing to happen. Almost like therefore. So he says, so, because they chose these men, because they laid hands on them and prayed for them, God's message continued to spread. What? Are you kidding me? Look at this. So God's message continued to spread because they got the right people in the kitchen? That blows my mind. That because they didn't have the right people in the right place, the the mission of the church was stalled. And he's like, man, we got to get the right people in the right places. Here's what I want to leave you today because a lot of people like that guy that I was speaking to a few years back is like, man, I don't do anything really for the body. Are you, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? Yesterday, those of you who were at work day and you were out there sweating on that berm <laughs> while y'all were like, what has this pastor gotten us into? What is he thinking? You know what I was thinking? How long, it took y'all, what, six hours to do that? Think of what it would have taken if I had to do it with just, you know, the people that surround me. First of all, we don't know how to do it as good as you. Secondly, our muscles are not as big as y'all's. You know what I'm saying? Like, think about it. You doing that allowed me to do something else somewhere. Even though I was there, I, d- I didn't do very much. As a matter of fact, they were probably like, man, you need to go on <laughs> so we can get some work done. But getting the right people in the right place. But I want you to listen to this because many people think that if I don't do one of these, quote, bigger things, that, well, those aren't that spiritual. I just want to pop that bubble today because I want you to look at this. So, God's message continued to spread. I'm in verse 7. The number of believers increased greatly in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Verse 8. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performing amazing miracles and signs among the people. I'm just going to stop there. After that, it kind of gets a little bleak for Stephen because they're fixing to bash his brains out and stone him. But not before. The reason they did that is because he gave one of the most eloquent presentations of the gospel from Abraham all the way to Christ. And he he basically told them exactly what they did, how they crucified him, and it ticked the religious people off so much that they ended up killing him. That's not the point I want to really focus on. I want to focus on the fact that here is a man in ministry. He didn't ask to be on that team. His apostles said, bro, this is where we need you. Well, I perform miracles. Mm, mm, mm. Are you following me? 
I perform miracles. You, got, you know that, right? Like, I lay hands on people, and, and, and stuff happens. You want to see? Like he, he, he did, his apostles said, Stephen, like, this is where we need you. Dad, gone, man. I got all these miracles that I was going to be planning on doing, you know. Now, I can't do them now if I'm back in the kitchen. I can't do them if I'm in the nursery. I can't do them if I'm at the front door. I can't do them if I'm stuck back there in the media booth. How am I going to do this if I'm up here on the drums? I'm going to tell you because your prophetic gift is not diminished by the position that you serve in. I'll say it again. Your prophetic gift is not diminished by the position that you serve in. I'm telling you what, if we, would, if we would understand that a position does not necessarily unleash the prophetic potential in you. You walk, I walk as prophetic people wherever we go. You, I'm telling you, I can go serve at the local school and I can just carry in plates but does that change who I am? Mm -mm. Nope. I know that none of these people need to know who I am, but I know who I am. And if at any point I need to throw down prophetically, I know how to do it. I know how to do it in the church, and I know how to do it outside of the church, and they look different. I've operated in the prophetic this past week. I've operated in Walmart in the prophetic. I've operated at the gas station at the, uh, uh, in the prophetic. And I've operated at Sam's in the prophetic. And no, I didn't announce that I'm operating in the prophetic. I'm just operating in the prophetic. I'm operating in my gifting. I didn't announce to the person what I was about to do. Even last night when I was ministering and trying to encourage this young lady, I didn't say, you need to understand who I am. You need to understand what's coming out of me. You need to understand the Lord is giving you a word right now for this time in your life. I just operated in who I was. Wherever you are, you operate in the giftings that God has placed inside of you. Wherever you are, whatever position, or if you don't have any position at all, operate in that. And his position Stephen's position didn't diminish him. He didn't see it as a demotion. Because see, when you operate in the prophetic, when you operate in your gifting, and that's what I mean when I say the prophetic. Those are prophetic gifts. When you operate in the gifts, when you operate in whatever your gifting is, you don't need a position. You don't need a position to operate. And Whatever position that you serve in doesn't diminish that to where you can't use it. I'm telling you what, there are times where I'm giving what the world might see as a small job. In that, in that position, I'm constantly praying. I'm asking God for discernment. You know, God, show me if there's anything you want me to do here, say here. Can I serve better? Are there ways that maybe I can serve that they didn't even tell me I could serve? I'm constantly just asking God to use me in those kinds of ways. If you don't take anything away from this today, take away from it that you, God has gifted you prophetically. God has gifted you in the body of Christ. 
One thing that we've got to understand, and this is it. I'm called to Christ and his church. I'm called to Christ and his church. Christ is not called to me. I want, I want, you to, I want it to sink in. I'm called to Christ and his church. Christ is not called to me. Christ was called for me. God the Father called Christ, sent him for me, for you. But we're called to Christ. Christ is not called to us. Many times in the body of Christ, we operate as if Christ is called to us. All right? God, here I am. What am I going to do? This is what I want to do. All right? This is what I'm, what I'm gifted to do. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what, I, what I'm good for. And so how are you going to use me? That's not how that works. I, I hope you can have a paradigm shift today. That's not how that works. That's okay. Here I am. I'm God's gift to you. So this is what I'm going to do for you. No, 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 no. We never come to God with that. Many times people do, but we do not come to God that way. We come to God and we say, here I am. I am dying on this altar. What do you have for me to do? I'm called to serve you. Do you know how many times that I have people that will come to me and they will present to me, this is what I can bring to your church. Immediately, immediately, that puts you into a category with me. I'm not saying it's even right. But when you come and you tell me that, I'm like, hmm, hmm. What kind of church is this? What kind of church are y'all? I don't ask people this, but I think I'm going to start. What kind of church is this? What kind of church are y'all? I think I'm going to answer a question with a question and say, well, what kind of person are you? Like, what kind of person are you? Are you a servant? Are you a giver? I mean, in the holistic sense of the word. Are, are you generous with your time? Are you compassionate? Are you generous with your grace? Because if you're not, then you're not going to fit into the culture of destiny well. If you're teachable and say, man, I'm here to learn. I'm here to learn. You're going to go places. You are going to go places. But many times people come and they're like, here I am. Here I am. I got all this. You want it? You want it? And I'm like, I want to know, will you scrub a toilet? Will you go see somebody in the hospital? Will you, will you if we needed food to be fixed, what, will you do that? Like, what will you do that's not your grandstand? Everybody look at me and see what I can do. I want to know, like, dude, what, where will you serve? Where will you serve? All right? And so let me go through this real quick. We talked about klesis, the Greek word for calling. Most everywhere in the New Testament, the word for calling is this. It's a general call invitation into God's presence. 
when he says he's, there's a call on your life, most places in the New Testament, it's just come be a part of the body of Christ. Come serve in this place. Come enjoy the community of the ecclesia. It's just come. I want to do life with you. I want to save you. I want to be a, you to be a part of my family. But it also can mean a specific assignment. And that's where most of the church gets hung up. Like, what is God calling me to do? God's just calling you. He's calling you to come and serve. Whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever the need is. And we need to get away from the, what is my specific calling? God, are you calling me to preach? Are you calling me to teach? Are you calling me to whatever? Like, I'm telling you what, if you'll just serve, all of that will come. I remember the day that God called me to a very specific thing. I remember where I was when God called me actually to this last one. Sometimes it's an invitation to an office or high honor. I remember the day that the Lord said, I'm calling you. I mean, these words just out of nowhere. I wasn't asking for it. I remember the day the Lord said, I'm calling you to be an apostle to sons in the ministry. I'm calling you to be an apostle. And I'm like, what? If I walked out of here and told people that, they would think I was psychotic because people didn't talk about apostles in my circles at that time. Do you know where I was when the Lord called me? I was by myself in the youth building with a nail gun in my hand making the base for an ice machine. I mean, God, you could have been a little more eloquent and elaborate. Probably could have chose a better setting. You know why I truly believe this is because I don't need, and I'm, I'm saying this very humbly, I don't need people to see me. I don't need people to see me building something for the church. Like, I just want y'all to know that I built that. I want y'all to know that I put all of this up by myself on this back wall. Not this. Me and one other person did that. <laughs> I, I, just, I just want y'all to know all of these panels up here, me and about five other people made those. I don't need people to know that. I know it's counterproductive you know, that I just told you. But I, I don't need that. I don't need for you to know that. God just wants to know, hey, will you serve? Whatever needs to be done. And when, when you serve, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve others. When you serve, I promise you, all of that other stuff up there will come to pass. It'll come to pass. Just start serving somewhere. Look at this. My call to Christ and his church it's not my comfort zone. My, my call is not based on my comfort zone, what I'm comfortable doing. It's not my choice. Hey, I get to choose where I'm going to serve. It's not, it's not what you prefer to do. It's what, what is needed. It's what is needed. It's not my credentials. Hey, do you understand? Like, do you understand? Like, I own three companies. I should be an elder at your church. I just want to know, have you cleaned any church toilets? 
Have, have, have you been, have you served the underprivileged? Like, I don't care about how many corporations you have. I, I want to know, are you spirit-filled? Are you humble? Like, it's not about your credentials, what you can do for the church. It's not about your convenience. It's not about what we can fit into our schedules. As a matter of fact, if your schedule doesn't allow you to be an integral part of the, of the local body of Christ, then, man, change jobs. Ask God for something else. But it's not about convenience. It's not about when you can fit God into your schedule. It's not about conviction, what you're passionate about. Well, I'm just convicted uh, on this subject and this, I don't want to do anything else. I just want, you know, but when, if you ever got something on finances that you want me to teach, because I, you know, I I own three companies, by the way, I didn't tell, did I tell you that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You told me that first time I ever met you. Well, I can teach people how to this, that, or the other. Listen, dude, listen, dude, listen, dude. I don't care about what you're passionate about until you become what this church is passionate about. That's where it's going to begin to all come together. So how do I put all of this into practice in my life? How do I put this into practice? Say this with me. I am called to Christ and his church. Christ, the church, is not called to me. This is how you put it into practice. It's the same exact application and activation that I shared with you last week. All right, same exact one. Number one is say yes to the call of God. Just say yes to being a servant. Just say yes, God, I come, I want you in my life and I just wanna serve you. Wherever that may be, I wanna serve you. If you're not serving somewhere, if you're not serving the body of Christ in some way, that's your first step, all right? Discover your spiritual gifts. I don't know how many of you actually went and did this. Some of you might not need to uh, know because you already know it. But if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you should take a, 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 just open your camera up and it'll take you, tap on it, it'll take you to a link where you can fill that out. I know at least two people did that last week because they told me about it. You need to find out what your spiritual gifts are because until you know that, we won't know like where you're suited in the body of Christ. And then the last thing is this. The last thing is begin serving somewhere in the body of Christ. Pastor Rife, I'm just not ready for that. Listen, I'm telling you, this is gonna be hard for you to hear. I'm telling you. If you're tired, take some time to rest. Take some time to rest. But don't become paralyzed. Don't become lethargic. Don't let spiritual rigor mortis sit in on you. You sit too long, you will not want to get up. If you're hurt, if you're hurt, then heal. You, many times you can't heal by yourself. You need a good therapist. You need some good pastoral people around you. You need good influences around you, like good friends, a friendship circle. But most of the time, spiritually, if you've been hurt, you don't heal well on your own. I'm not saying it's, it's impossible, but you need good folks around you. Take some time and heal. But listen, you, at some point, you can't be healing eight years later. You can't be healing eight years later. Do you, do you not think that I have been hurt? You know that I've experienced hurt. 
But through that hurt, I'm still working. I'm still serving. I'm still working those muscles. So begin serving somewhere in the body of Christ. Doesn't mean you got to serve tomorrow. But listen, we're going to get into this a little later. One of the marks of a healthy church is transformation. And if you have, if you truly take a survey of your life and you go, where am I at spiritually? Where am I at in my world? And you've been there for five or six years. Hey, something's wrong. And you're probably this. Hear me. I'm, I'm trying to encourage you. It's not going to sound encouraging. But listen, it's not everybody else's fault. How can I say that? Because I say it to myself. Rife, your hurt is not everybody else's fault. I have a part in that. I have to admit and take responsibility for where I am. And I can be like that person last night that I was trying to encourage and keep wanting to go back over here. But at some point, man, we've got to, be, we've got to experience transformation and move on so that we can be beneficial in the body of Christ. I hope this today has helped you to have a paradigm shift. And I hope today that you're taking a, a, a step towards the calling that God has on your life.